Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday again, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Don't forget, if you missed it earlier, we broke down the Sixers-Celtics game and Joel Embiid running away with the MVP award. You can find that video a little bit further back on our YouTube feed. Tonight, we're going to be breaking down the Lakers and a chaotic win in overtime over the Utah Jazz with a LeBron James game winner in the final minute. And then the Golden State Warriors, after a, a disaster class in the first half defensively, put together a master class in the second half defensively to notch a much-needed win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. We're going to be breaking down those two games. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketballs. This is a really weird game for the Lakers on a bunch of different levels. First of all, it's the last game of a long road trip. This is just a reality of basketball. When you're away from your family for a long time and you've got a flight home that evening, it's just really hard to get focused on the game at hand when you're really just thinking about getting on the team plane and going home to see your wife and to see your kids and stuff. Like uh, um, the Lakers broadcast was actually directly saying this during the game. They're like, oh, the Lakers are clearly thinking about the team plane. And they did just about everything they needed to do to get there. They were up 10 with a minute and 45 seconds left, but then they ended up blowing it and sending it to OT. But it was a weird game. I mean, the Utah Jazz, again, it, they're not very talented. Uh, that's just the reality. Ke- uh, Kelly Olynyk was the only starter from the season opener against the Denver Nuggets who actually played in this game. So you've got to remember that even though they like, even though they are well coached and they play hard 
and they've got athleticism, and they've got little matchup things that can cause you problems. Pick and pop bigs have caused the Lakers problems throughout this entire season just because of the way Darvin Ham likes to keep Anthony Davis around the rim. There were matchup things there, but the reality is is that there's just it's the Utah Jazz missing a bunch of guys, and it's going to be hard to get your team fired up for even in a must-win situation on the last game of a road trip against a team like the Utah Jazz. So they ended up in a little bit of trouble, but I'm honestly impressed by the way the Lakers regained control in the overtime period because it was it was a disaster. They blew the 10-point lead going into OT. Then on the jump ball, they lose track of Kelly Olenek. He steals the tip, ends up running down the other way and getting an and one. And suddenly it's 127-124, and... The Utah crowd is just crazy, and it just feels like things have gone off the tracks. But they regain control. LeBron James goes down and hits a three and ties the game. Anthony Davis had kind of a rough court, uh, uh, a rough end of that game from an offensive perspective with his jump shot and scoring around the rim. He also missed two free throws, but he just what, – what do I always say? When your skill stuff isn't working, find a way to impact the game with your athleticism. There was a pivotal play at the end of this game where, in OT where LeBron missed a little jump shot from the left elbow. Anthony Davis come, came flying in for the offensive rebound and hit LeBron James cutting down the lane. He tried to dunk on Kelly Olenek and got rim stuffed, but he got the foul. And LeBron made both free throws. That was actually a lead-changing play at the end of OT. So Anthony Davis, again, just with his athleticism, found a way to make a play that impacted the game. And then I will say, down the entire fourth quarter in overtime, with all the disaster going on for the Lakers defensively, Anthony Davis was phenomenal at the rim deterring shots and blocking shots. Uh, but then, like, Austin Reeves had a big play. It was 128. I think it was uh, – uh, Kelly Olenek hit a pick-and-pop three to put them up by three. I think it was one uh, 132 to 129, if I remember correctly. And again, crowd going crazy. Only a couple minutes left. And Austin Reeves just goes down the left side of the floor, catches a quick ball screen, goes to the elbow, and knocks down, like, a 17-foot jump shot. Early in the shot clock, how many guys have the confidence with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor in OT of a must-win game that early in the shot clock to rise up and knock down a shot? I thought that was a great indicator of Austin's overall confidence, and I think that bodes well for him potentially thriving under the playoff stage in the playoff lights. He had 28 points on 13 shots in this game and was a plus 10. And then at the end of the game, despite what I thought was a, a tricky decision uh, uh, from Darvin Ham subbing uh, Jared Vanderbilt in cold off the bench to guard Taylor Horton Tucker. Again, Dennis Schroeder had Taylor Horton Tucker locked up. And to me, it was an example of overcoaching. Like he's thinking, oh, I'm going to take Austin out and I'm going to put Jared Vanderbilt in. So it's a better defensive lineup. But then he also put Jared Vanderbilt on the ball on Taylor, even though he was obviously going to be the guy to go to work. And here's the thing when you're sitting on the bench for what probably was about 15 minutes of real time, you're going to get cold. And he stepped out on the floor and he wasn't moving as well as he was earlier in the game. And he immediately got dusted to the basket and ended up having to foul. Taylor goes one for two from the line. And then LeBron James, after getting a great look at the end of regulation and smoking a left-handed layup, goes right back at O'Shea Ogbaji with a, with a nasty spin move and then jumps into Damian Jones's chest and gets that right arm out there and makes the layup this time. It was a big play on a couple of different levels. Not only did it give the Lakers the lead, but he gave the Lakers the lead with like 28 seconds on the shot clock. So the Utah Jazz, even if they scored, there was a guarantee that the Lakers would have a chance to win the game at the end. It was a big-time, quick, smart move from LeBron James. And then Dennis Schroeder matched up back with Taylor Horton Tucker, where he belonged on the previous possession. 
forced him into an extremely difficult one-legged fadeaway off the left elbow that he missed, and the Lakers ended up winning. So all of that chaos, all of that nastiness, and it ends up in the Lakers getting the win that we expected at the beginning of the night. I, I You know, the glass half empty way to look at it is, man, you had to waste all that energy getting the win. Like, there's no doubt that the Lakers were playing down to their competition. Anybody who watches that game would feel that way. But it's unfortunate when you have to spend 38 minutes from LeBron and 42 minutes from Anthony Davis on the front end of a back-to-back. So that's like the glass-half-empty way of looking at it. But I'm going to go optimistic, and I'm going to say, hey, you got a big LeBron moment. I think he finished with like 37 points in this game, if I remember correctly. Hit what effectively amounted to the game winner. He hit massive shots in OT, including that three that took away the Kelly Olynyk and one to start the uh, to start the overtime period. The way I look at it, like you need LeBron James at a superstar level to have any chance of winning the championship this year. You might be able to upset one of these flawed Western Conference teams or two of them, but whoever the best Western Conference team at the end of the day in the in the Western Conference Finals or whoever comes out of the Eastern Conference, you need LeBron James and Anthony Davis at a superstar level to win. And so I looked at it as a big confidence-boosting moment for LeBron James at the end of that game to make all the plays that brought them home. Again, even just knocking down two clutch free throws in the final minute that put the Lakers up one. All in all, I'm going to look at it positively despite the disappointment of yet another late-game collapse. Uh, You'd think the Lakers would have learned their lesson by now. But here's the deal. We're heading into a back-to-back against the Clippers for the Lakers. And it's arguably the most important regular season game of the season. Because depending on who wins, so many different things get jockeyed around. And there's this other big problem where everyone's paranoid about potentially playing the Phoenix Suns in the first round. But at the same time, it's a three-way tie right now. And so, like, there's just so many different ways it could go that even if you wanted to jockey yourself into a certain position, there's no guarantee that you'll end up there with so many other elements that are outside of your control. And, like, look, ideally, yeah. Ideally, for the Lakers, you'd prefer to not play Phoenix in the first round. First of all, I like the way Phoenix, I like the way the Lakers match up with Phoenix. The Phoenix Suns are a bad point of attack defense team, in my opinion, and the Lakers are a great pick and roll team. I like the idea of LeBron James and Anthony Davis battling with Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton on the front line all series long. Um, Darvin Ham loves to ignore non-shooters, and I think for most of that series, they're going to have to go with guys like um, they're going to have to go with uh, some sort of point of attack defensive player in that fifth starter position, and it's going to be somebody that they don't have to guard. It's going to be someone like a Tory Craig that they're going to be helping off of the entire game, right? So I like that matchup for the Lakers. But with all of the shot making with Kevin Durant, with all the shot making with Devin Booker, with what Chris Paul is going to do with the defensive matchup that he has, I'd prefer it for the Lakers' sake if LeBron James was in a better groove. So ideally, you face him in the second, third round where you have an extra three weeks from now for LeBron James to build his conditioning, to get in that gym and work on his ball handling and his shooting. He was three for 10 from three again tonight. Ideally, you want him in a peak offensive position for that series. I get that. But there's there's also only one other seed available, and that's the sixth seed. Because the play-in tournament is not worth the risk to avoid the Suns. There's too much variation. Like, the Lakers are a bad three-point shooting team that can go ice cold sometimes. I mean, they've gotten a lot better since the deadline, but they can go really cold from three sometimes. So that's a variance piece that can get you beat in a play-in game. Anthony Davis 
is the type of guy that can go hot and cold, you know, and, and have a game where he takes 25 shots and then have a game where he takes eight shots. And that can directly affect a single game sample, like a play-in game. And what if you lose the first one and then suddenly you're in a must-win game and it's a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder and Shea Gilgis-Alexander goes off for 45 points and you lose and you go home. If you don't believe that's a risk, just ask the Golden State Warriors from 2021. They were clicking going into the playoffs. They had won 15 of their last 20 games. Everything was working for them. And then they got into the play-in tournament, lost to the Lakers on a game-winning three from LeBron James, and caught a bad matchup against a Minnesota, uh, Memphis Grizzlies team and lost. So the play-in tournament is not worth the risk. The five seed gives you the Suns, and there's no way to guarantee you'll get the six seed. There's just too many moving parts, too many complications in the tiebreaker. So the clear answer here is go beat the Clippers tomorrow. You control your own destiny. Try to win every game. If you lose one of those games and you end up with the six seed, then great. But if you win out and you face the Suns, so be it. Any of that is better than having to deal with the playing tournament and all the variance that comes into play in that situation. So if it were up to me, I would play everyone tomorrow. And then the other big part of it, you got to think of it is like, okay, yeah, it's a back-to-back. LeBron and AD just combined to play 80 minutes. But if you don't go to the play-in tournament, you finish the game on Sunday against the Jazz, which by the way, if things break right, you might be locked into a seed and not have to play that game. Beat the Clippers, beat the Suns. You might not have to play against the Jazz. In which case, you can take Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and maybe even Saturday off. That's eight consecutive days for you to rest your guys and put in new sets and things in practice and to work out those details. Or if you have to play against the Jazz, you're guaranteed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. So to me, it's a no-brainer. Like, yeah, ideally you don't want to play the Suns, but don't play with the basketball gods. Uh, uh, like trying to dodge somebody is effectively signing up for bad karma, in my opinion. And most importantly, there's no version of this scenario where you get to just easily jerry-rig yourself into a, uh, to a matchup that you like. Too much is up in the air. Go win the games. All right, let's move on to Thunder Warriors. Um, really rough start defensively in this game. They gave up 79 points in the first half. Point of attack defense was a massive problem for the Warriors in the first half, which we're going to get to in a minute because I thought it led to a very important adjustment from Steve Kerr in the second half of this game. Defense is vitally important to the Warriors. Like it's just, it's a non-starter for them to try to win any other way. They've never won without defending an extremely high level. The same can be said for every champion in NBA history. That's part of their identity. That is a core principle of Golden State Warriors basketball. They have to defend at an extremely high level. Then in addition to that, it helps them get out in transition. You know, in half court sets now, teams are all guarding the Warriors the same way. They're blatantly ignoring Draymond. They're blatantly, blatantly ignoring Kevon Looney. They're blatantly ignoring guys like uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Gary Payton II. And they're sagging back into the paint. And then they're trying to chase around the guards like hell and try to force them into back cuts so that they cut back into all of that congestion around the rim. It is hard to score in the half court in the NBA for any team, but when it comes to stopping the Warriors, that's by far the best way to stop them. So getting out in transition before defense gets a chance to get set, that's a really good way for uh, to get Jordan Poole shook, uh, shook free for a three, to get Steph Curry shook free for a three. So defense for them is just an, it, it's a non-starter for them if they're not defending. And they weren't defending in the first half. And guess what? They were down 10. 
But they locked in. They gave up just 46 points in the second half, including 19 in the fourth quarter. I thought one of the key adjustments, and you saw this big time in the fourth quarter of this game, was Gary Payton II and switching him onto the point of attack uh, uh, against Shea Gilgis Alexander. He got a couple of buckets in the in the quarter, like uh, getting switches. Like he got a switch on a Steph Curry once and just bullied him to the basket. Um, he also drew a foul on Gary Payton. That was kind of an iffy call, I thought. Um, Shea, Shea pushes off a lot. So I, I'm a big believer in like the give and take defensively. Like if a player is going to push off, you got to let the defensive player kind of be physical back with them. But for the most part, Gary Payton kind of took Shea out of his element in that uh, fourth quarter. And it was a huge part of them slowing down the Thunder's offense. And again, I can't even begin to describe how valuable it is in the NBA, in this high pick and roll league, in this spread you out, isolation, beat a guy off the dribble, drive and kick league, to have a guy like Gary Payton that you can just stick on the other team's best guard and just know like, hey, we're good there. That's a huge asset. And it's a big part of why I talked about him so much during the season, both before the trade, talking about how much they missed him, and and then after the trade, obviously when he was dealing with the injury. I mean, don't forget, but go look at the on-off numbers for Gary Payton in the playoffs last year. They were beating the shit out of everybody when he was on the floor, and it was a much more competitive competitive environment when he was off the floor. It's just a fact. He's so important to their defense. And again, like specifically in that Shea Gilgis Alexander matchup, Shea is a very physical old school guard who likes to push off. And and like I was saying, like Gary Payton, he's so damn strong, and he's got such a low center center of gravity, and he's such a he's got such strong legs. It's so difficult to push him off of his spot. So that bully ball style from Shea just doesn't work on guys like Gary Payton. I thought thought his defense on Shea was just a massive swing factor in the fourth quarter of this game. He also made really good reads on offense. He had three offensive rebounds. He was plus nine in 17 minutes. Draymond Green. I mean, how many times this year have I talked about Draymond Green having a defensive masterclass in the fourth quarter? Once again in this game, flying around, protecting the rim. There were two plays in this game uh, in the fourth quarter where Thunder players... Thunder guards tried to beat Draymond off the dribble, and he just stuck his arm out and poked the ball free. Both of them led to runouts. Again, Draymond, he's viewed as an undersized forward, and he is, but he's got a 7-1 wingspan. That's that's ridiculous for a guy his size. 7-1 wingspan is great for any for a center in this league. So, you know, having those long arms to reach and poke the ball free, I, I mean, that's that's a that's also a dangerous weapon to have. But he, he was incredible in the fourth quarter. And then Jordan Poole. I thought his three-point shooting was a huge part of their fourth quarter run. Uh, late third, early fourth. Just him being super aggressive. He drew a foul. Um, it might have been a little bit of an iffy call. It kicked his foot out a little bit. But again, that's grifting points, which is who cares as long as it goes to the scoreboard. And then I thought, honestly, those free throws. He missed the first one, then he made a couple. Those free throws, I thought, helped build his rhythm to knock down the important threes late in the game. And then Steph Curry. I mean, a lot of times when I'm doing this show, we gloss over the best players because we like to focus on the nitty-gritty details. And honestly, it's just like, how many times are you going to say, like, Steph is incredible, he's amazing. How many times are you going to say, LeBron is incredible, he's amazing. How many times are you going to say, Joel Embiid is incredible, he's amazing. It's like, a lot of times we focus on more of the variance pieces in a game. Like, oh, so-and-so played well today. So-and-so really struggled today, right? Um, And so, honestly, sometimes in the show, I can gloss over guys. Like, Steph had, I think, 34 in this game. He was freaking incredible. 
and we're not going to talk that much about him. But I thought he hit the I thought he hit the biggest shot of the game. When it was 115-115, he had a step back three over Lou Dort on the right wing. And I thought it completely changed the psychological complexion of the game. Immediately after that, the Thunder fell apart. They lost their composure. They gave up a layup to Draymond on the very next possession. It's this weird play where like they're trying to sub Jalen Williams into the game. Mark Daginal's freaking out. Um, uh, they tr- they trap uh, uh, Dante DiVincenzo on the left wing. He throws that little split pocket pass to uh, to Gary Payton, who drops it off to Draymond Green, completely uncontested under the rim. Again, it was a massive defensive breakdown. Then they end up getting a technical foul. Next thing you know, they're up like 15. Again, the, uh, Steph has a tendency to try to snatch your heart, and he he'll, he knows when to try to like put his fingerprints on a game to where you could tell when he first subbed into the game, he was still giving the ball to Jordan Poole because Jordan Poole was hot. He had it going. That was the guy to bring it home at that point. But then it was like 115-115. It's like a shark smelling blood in the water. It was like he just saw that. Uh, he saw the the game and uh, the uh, time and score. He saw the flow of the game. He saw that Lou Dort was just a little bit too far back, and he just went to that patent, patented step back jumper to his right, stuck it. I thought that was the biggest shot in the game. Uh, and then the wheels came off from there, and the and the Warriors won by double digits. They're forty two and thirty eight now. They've won six of their last eight. Remaining schedule, they've got a really tough one in Sacramento on Friday, and then they go to Portland on Sunday for the last night of the season. That that's a that's a game they should win. There's two things the Warriors need to hope for now. They need to hope for the Lakers to rest their guys against the Clippers tomorrow, which I think is very much on the table. And then then they need to uh, hope for Sacramento to rest their guys on Friday. Because here's the thing. If the Kings treat that game like a playoff dress rehearsal and play all of their guys, it's just going to be a really tough game to win. Uh, Again, like without Andrew Wiggins, I just always view those games against the great teams in the league for the Warriors as like coin flips, especially on the road, as we've seen throughout the entire season. So if Sacramento rests all their guys in the game, that gives the Warriors a much better chance to win out. But here's the reality. Unfortunately, as a result of them blowing that game to Minnesota and then falling apart at the end of the game against Denver, they don't control their own destiny. The Lakers have the tiebreaker. So they need to somehow lose one fewer game than the Lakers do the rest of this week. So that's what I'm saying. If the Lakers punt the game against the Clippers and then the Kings end up punting the game on Friday, then the Warriors will find themselves in a position where they most likely will be out of the play-in. Um, but they're going to need some help. Andrew Wiggins. So in our last show, I talked about how we had seen some reporting that Andrew Wiggins may or may not have returned to the city of San Francisco after being away for a little while. Well, we got reporting, I think, yesterday that he's returning to the team. They did a full press conference today. So Andrew Wiggins is effectively back. He's not going to play until, I think, maybe this weekend. Um, But really, it comes down to this. Can he be ready in time for what's going to be a bloodbath of a first-round series? You get the five seed, you get Phoenix. That's going to be a bloodbath. You get the six seed, you get Sacramento. Still going to be a bloodbath. You get the seven seed, Memphis, definitely going to be a bloodbath. Eight seed, Denver, going to be a bloodbath. You're going to need Andrew Wiggins playing well to win those the, any of those series because of what he does at the point of attack and what he does off the ball. Again, like we talk so much about Andrew Wiggins' point of attack defense on the show, but it goes beyond that to the fact that he was like an 18-point-per-game guy in the playoffs last year. He was, he was scoring pop, legitimate scoring pop, gets good matchups, and he gets high-percentage shots, either 
uh, aggressive spot-up shooting or rip-throughs to the middle of the floor for those little pop shots and floaters and and 15-foot pull-ups, right? So, again, he's a little bit of a rhythm player. He's got a very – he doesn't have much arc on his jump shot. And guys that have line-drive jump shots are a little bit more, you know, rhythm-oriented. So the real question is, is it's great that Andrew Wiggins is back. Obviously, they needed him to have any sort of championship ceiling, but can he be ready in time? Understanding that right now it's Tuesday, and they're going to need him in about, what's that, 10 or 11 days, 12 days? They're going to need him in less than two weeks to be ready to play in an absolute bloodbath of a playoff series. And it's just a lot to ask. Um. And so it'll be really important to see how how he progresses throughout this week uh, in their workouts. And, and we're going to find out pretty quickly how well he stayed in shape while he was away. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. We will be back tomorrow night after the final buzzer of Clippers-Lakers to break down what should be the most pivotal night in the Western Conference playoff picture this season. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you next time. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.